Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 3. Now we get into the meat of the book of Hebrews. Remember who this is. I have my dearest friend, uh, beyond my bride on this earth, uh, happens to be a Jewish man. And as a Jewish man, he takes great pride in pulling out his 23andMe thing. And when you read it, it says 100% Jewish. Okay, so... That's very, very, very unique, and probably almost none of us in this room were we to pull out our 23andMe thing, we'd all be probably quite a few different genetic pieces. Very few of us are pure one race versus another race, but for the Jewish people, if there was ever a group that could have settled in on our race is the greatest race, it would certainly have been them. They were blessed by God. They were given the law by God himself. They were unique genetically. They were unique, if you want to say it that way, racially. And they were starting to trust in their race. They were starting to trust in who they were genetically and who they were as far as the way they did church, if you want to look at it that way. And so this is a beautiful passage for us to look at in this particular setting, because it helps us understand that we are actually part of a much bigger thing than our individual families, our individual lives, our individual races, or our individual cultures from which we come, which all have import, by the way. Those things are important to each of us. But the main thing is who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ supersedes everything else that we are. Because he has set us free, we are free indeed. If you're not free in Christ, then you're not yet fully free, no matter who you are. And so we begin here, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 3, And therefore, holy brethren, notice how he begins. The writer draws attention to the fact that we are the hagios, the holy ones, that's the saints, that are also brothers and sisters, brethren. We are the holy brethren, if you want to look at it that way. Who are the holy brethren? Anyone and everyone who is in Christ Jesus as Lord. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, both Jew and Gentile. Greek, slave, free. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear. And I know these are words that sometimes are hard in our culture to talk about. But Jesus has united us and made us one. Read John 17 as he and the Father are one. So that we are no longer separated by those things which would separate us. But joined together in something greater than that which separates us. Those things which are problematic for us, Jesus has spanned that gap. Partakers of the heavenly calling. 
Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him. That would be God. As Moses also was faithful to all his house. So here's where we get this differentiation between the greatness of Moses and the greatness of Jesus. The greatness of Moses, who was the greatest of all of the Jewish people, and Jesus, who was the captain of our salvation, the one who saved us. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Can you imagine a Jewish person hearing that? Not only was Moses revered, he was considered to be the greatest of all of the Jewish people, save maybe Abraham. He's the author of the first five books of the Bible. If you wanted to know anything about Judaism, you had to refer to the words of Moses. If you wanted to know about the tabernacle or the temple or the law, the Levitical law, the feast days, the holidays, if you wanted to know anything about being Jewish, you had to go to the writings of Moses. You had to hear what Moses had to say about it. Of course, Moses wrote in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But you're writing to Jewish Christians people who could identify culturally and racially as being Jewish, unique in all of the world, so unique that they are to this day the world's most unique DNA. There are fewer pure Jewish people on the face of the earth than any other race. They were unique and they had a reason to boast in it. The true and the living God spoke to one of them and literally etched his own law in stone and handed it to Moses and said, Here, of all the people on earth, there's no one like you. Writing to those people. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Isn't it weird how we give honor to the wrong thing, wrong person. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses was indeed faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. That would be Jesus. But Christ as a son over his own house, church, There is one house of God. There are all kinds of different variations of that house, but there is one house, there is one body, there is one faith, there is one Lord, there is one baptism, plainly declared, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one Lord over all. Therefore, if we are holy brethren, we're all holy brethren of the same exact family. Amen? Over his own house. Whose house? God's house. Whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. To the Jewish believer, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater than Moses. 
And they're probably like, what did you just say? Jesus is greater than Moses. You mean Jesus is greater than our history? Jesus is greater than our culture? Jesus is greater than our race? Jesus is greater than our feast? Jesus is greater than the temple? Jesus is greater than all these things. Think about it. And then start to own it. Jesus is greater than your things. Jesus is greater than your race. Whatever it is. Jesus is greater than your culture. Whatever it is. Jesus is greater than our nation. Jesus is greater than our politics. Jesus is just plain greater than everything. Everything. Every association and every affiliation that we could possibly think on and make, Jesus is greater. Why? Because he built all our houses. He owns all our homes. He is the author of our salvation. He is the one that created both heaven and earth. He is the one that paid the price for your sin. He is the one that's made us able to be in this place, this house, God's house, as one family. He did that. But to a Jewish person, nobody was really greater than Moses. As great as he was. And Moses was great. We have to give Moses his due. I don't know how he survived wandering for 40 years in the wilderness with a bunch of complaining, whining people. Amen? That's what they did. The moment they got there, it's like, man, I'm going to lose it. It's out here. I think we're a little like those people, aren't we? Sometimes we can't see the good because we focus only on the bad. Sometimes we can't see the solutions because we focus only on the problems. Sometimes we forget what we have because we focus on what we have not. Church, this is a word for us today. It's a word for me today. It's a word for us today in our culture. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 20 through 25 says this, And now the mediator does not mediate for the one only, but God is one. God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he's still one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Paul says, certainly not. Who wrote the law? Well, in a physical sense, Moses did. Moses authored the law. But it was really God who authored the law. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Do you realize what that says? If there had been a law that could give life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But it can't. Rules and regulations cannot save you. Legalism cannot save you. The law can't save you. The law can only serve to tell you exactly how far short you fall. That's the primary purpose of the law. It leaves you wanting. It leaves you incomplete. It leaves you lacking. It puts you in harm's way, so to speak. But the scripture is confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, 
we were kept under guard by the law. In other words, without faith, without grace, without salvation, by grace through faith, the law restrained us. It was a way for God to tell us, look, these are the boundaries. This is how you should live. Let's see how you do living that way. And that's why the most miserable people on earth are those who try and blend the law and grace. It is grace that saves you. The law simply defines the type of life that you should live. But it can't save you. It never has had the capacity to save you. That's why you can't legislate faith. For the faith which would afterward be revealed... Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That word means schoolmaster, teacher. In other words, the law instructed us that we are hopelessly lost without grace. Brings us to Christ. That we might be justified, check this out, by faith, not by the law. The law justifies no one. It only tells you how far off you are. That's what the law does. When you read the law, it's going, oh, I fail at that, and I fail at that. Okay, I complete these things. I'm good on these. As I've shared with you so many times, just take the Ten Commandments and try and live those out faithfully for a week. You're going to get an F on the test at the end of the week. It's what's going to happen. You're going to covet something. Day one, covetousness happens. You're going to want someone else's whatever. You're going to probably have a false god on day one. It might be your anger. It might be your position in life. You're going to have something. It's like somebody else has got something I don't have, and I want that. And all of a sudden, you focus in on it, and you start to worship that thing. You see, the law just shows you how jacked up you are. You're messed. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. As great as Moses was, As great as the law is, all it can do is show us how far we missed the mark. That's why we cannot interject into God's holy church anything except faith in Christ. I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saved because I go to a Calvary chapel. I'm not saved because I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm certainly not saved because I'm white. I had a guy say that to me. Well, you're just Christian because you're white. I said, really? I got some stone heathens in my family. Can out your family any day of the week. He looked at me, started laughing. I said, what are you saying? Of course Jesus wasn't white. Jesus was not white. Jesus was Jewish. He undoubtedly had dark skin and he undoubtedly had dark hair. He wasn't white. Moses wasn't white either. We get that out of the way. And I'm not saying that to be flippant. It's the truth. Jesus wasn't white. But sometimes the church tries to abscond with a Jesus that is of its own making. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus has to be white. Or Jesus has to be some other race. Church, there should not be churches that are defined by race. There should be churches only that are defined by relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. Because the last time I looked, this book says that I am only a believer by faith in Christ, not because I'm white or any other race. But we start to focus on the wrong thing. And before you know it, we have our own new Moses. We start to worship something other than Jesus. Jesus gave great honor, actually, to Moses himself. In John chapter 5, I do not receive honor from men, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you, for I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who have received honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. In other words, Moses was telling you about me. Moses wasn't trying to make you into uber Hebrews. He was trying to set you up so that when Messiah came, you would see him and believe in him. But you missed that. Church, when we confuse what church is about, when we make it about something other than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and all of the diversity that that will cause us to see, by the way, then we'll make church about something other than Jesus. And it becomes dangerous. For he, Jesus said, John 5.46, wrote of me. The truth of the matter is Christ is greater than all his family members, of which we are. As the body of Christ, that's who we are. We are God's children. We are literally brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are of the same family. We're going to share the same heaven. There isn't going to be a segregated part of heaven. There isn't going to be, you know, well, this is, and I'm going to use some terms here. Please don't be offended by them. I mean no offense in saying them. But there's not going to be a Chinatown in heaven. There's not going to be a black section of heaven. There's not going to be a Hispanic section of heaven. There is not going to be any sections in heaven. There's going to be one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and we will all be in the same family, same neighborhood. Amen? We have to understand this. This is the solution to today's problems. When we see each other that way, and we put that viewpoint into this world, that can transform our culture. Because when I see you as my brother and sister, literally, quite literally, with whom I will share eternity, why would I not want the very best for my family? And I would do everything to provide for it. 
That is how I value other human beings in a way that it recognizes our common humanity in the way that we were created and our common love one for another that was given to us by Christ as Christians. This is the solution, church. This is the message that Jesus brought. I would that you be one as I and my Father are one. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, well, you guys go over here and you guys go over there. And if you don't like those guys, then just start your own church. That's not from God. That is antithetical to what Christ did on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say, Father, we'll forgive these guys over here because they really have a super hip, cool church. Or this church over here that really nails down these seven truths about which I am most concerned. Christ died to make us one. And it's about time we started living that way. And I don't see that to insult anyone. It's a job. It's a task. It's something that we have to work at. It's something I have to work at. When I see people the way God sees me, I see them without all of the prejudice that we get in this world. I just see people the way God intends them to be seen. And so I see them as my family. Christ is greater than all of us collectively. We've actually been brought into the same family, just as it says here in verses 1 and 2. And through the Holy Spirit, we are actually members of his body. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking about this very thing, said that's why the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. We need each other. The beautiful diversity that we have in this church, we need each other. Your life experience, the way you see things, the things that have happened in your life are so important to my growth. For me to be who I am, I need you. Because we're part of the same body. And so that makes us very valuable to one another. Part of the problem that I see in the church today is it's as if we are saying, well, that part of the body has no value. That's simply not true. And we have to reject that thinking. We have to look at one another and say, I can't live without my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Nothing we do should supersede who we are in Christ. And to that end, Jesus is superior in every way imaginable. That's why sometimes people will come to me, well, you know, what about this political view or what about this racial thing that's going on, all these types of things. I said, get who's on top correct and everything else falls into place. If you put Jesus on the top and everything else underneath, then you get the right order. But if you stick anything at the top, including Christian nationalism, understand what I'm saying here. If you're just a political activist that believes that somehow this country is the most Christian place on earth, if you put that at the top, 
then Jesus has to be somewhere else in the list. And you're wrong. Christ goes at the top. Then individual humanity goes underneath that and value of every single human being created in Christ's image. Then our individual races and cultures and all those things fit underneath that. If we get that correct, that shows us our family structure. Jesus is Lord. I live and breathe and all I am is in him. Our value collectively is because we are all in the same family, cut from the same image of God. The same imprimatur of God was placed in every single person in this room. Then everything else fits. Jesus only had one commission. To seek and save that which is lost. He didn't come to divide, he came to unify. Didn't come to tear apart, he came to put together. In that sense, Moses actually, through what he wrote, created some division, didn't he? Here's how we know this. The Jewish people despised the Gentiles. Why? Because they didn't keep the law. Well, we're keeping the law, you're not keeping the law. And so what happened? There was racial tension and division. The Jewish people, unique race, by the way, DNA unique on all the earth, began to hate the Hittites and the Amorites and the Edomites because they did things right and the Edomites didn't. They had church the right way and the Edomites didn't. And this is a little bit of license here, but it proves the point very well. If you make it about how you do church instead of who is the head of the church, then you're going to end up with the wrong church. And so Moses brings the law, which is good, which proves that everyone couldn't keep it. Not just the Edomites, not just the Amorites, not just the Hittites, not just the Canaanites. The Israelites couldn't keep the law. But boy, did they get all up here about it. You're like, oh, well, you know, we have the temple. God gave us manna. We went through the Red Sea. Those experiences never saved them. They still needed grace. They still needed faith. And in that sense, Jesus had a greater ministry than Moses, as great as Moses' ministry was. Jesus built the house. Moses just helped us understand how to live in it. It's like Moses was kind of like the, the house dad. He said, okay, here's the house rules. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Thou shalt have no other gods. There's only one God in this house. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's wife. Don't murder anyone. Moses laid down the house rules. And the whole time Jesus is going, well, that's great. But that doesn't make you the builder of the house. The builder of the house is still the Lord. He built the house. We're just residents in it. 
Jesus deserves that glory. You see, Moses for sure served as a prophet. And again, you can download these slides and just look at them later. But when you look at these lists, you can see in every imaginable way, Jesus was greater than Moses. And yet the Jewish people are going, Jesus who? Salvation how? Well, I don't like that because... Do you remember what Jesus was accused of? Blasphemy. Why is that? Because he claimed to be equal with God. And he would join the Jew and the Gentile together as one. And they're going, we ain't having none of that. Sound familiar? You see, Moses had a great ministry. Jesus had a greater ministry. Why? Because Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought grace. Church. How many of you really want to receive what you have earned? Please don't raise your hands. Because here's how that's going to get determined. God sees everything, knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart of man. Not just what you do so people can see it, but what you think and why you think it. So if you are to get what you deserve, which is the opposite of grace, how many of you think you're going to heaven? There's not one in here, including me. I'm not going to heaven because I'm going to get what I deserve. I'm going to heaven because I'm going to receive what I do not deserve. God's grace has been poured out on my life. Unmerited favor has come to me. Something I don't deserve. I'm not going because I'm American. I'm not going because I'm white. I'm not going because I came from a family where most of us are Christians now. I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross in my place. He shed his blood and paid the price for my sin. That's why I'm going to heaven. Amen? Moses didn't do that. Moses just said, hey, you guys need to live this way. Moses would go on to write 613 specific things that the Jewish people needed to attend to in order to be righteous so that when you got to the day of Yom Kippur, there wouldn't be much bad to say about you. But you know how many of them actually made it to that sinless perfection? Zero, including Moses. Moses was a liar. Hear me well. Moses was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Moses was a thief. Okay, so he broke the Ten Commandments even though he got to take them from God's fingers. That's why the law can't save you. It can only tell you how messed up you are. And it does, doesn't it? When I look at the law of God, I go, whoop, failed on that one. Not that I want to, but I do. There's so many things that we can give glory and honor and praise to in this world, but do we really give Jesus the glory and honor and praise that's due his name, or are we glorying other things? The church is to be about the glory of the Lord. Amen?
Jesus is great. Moses was good, but Jesus is great. In that sense, Jesus built the house, not Moses. But if you were to ask the Jewish people, they would say, the house is built on the Torah. The first five books, all authored by Moses, by the way. We wouldn't even know how to build the temple if it weren't for the Torah. We wouldn't know how to act in the temple if it weren't for the Torah. We wouldn't know what goes in the sanctuary and what goes in the Holy of Holies apart from the Torah. If you take the Torah away from our life, we would not know how to relate to God. The problem is they skipped over the big issue. There was a giant veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And that giant veil said, every one of you needs to stay out of here. Including the high priest, even though he could go in one day a year. But even the high priest was banned by the veil. And so they're worshiping Moses. Moses set up this wonderful thing that said, we're all guilty. Think about it. That's what it did. And in fact, every year on Yom Kippur, the high priest goes in, offers up the sacrifice first for himself and his family, and then for the other priests that are attending with him, and then for the children of Israel. And 32 nanoseconds after he goes back through the veil, somebody's already sinned. Right? Is that true or is that not true? It's true. That's exactly what happened. That's why it had to be repeated. That's why the Bible says it is repeated year after year after year to no avail. No avail whatsoever. Didn't fix a thing. Just forestalled God's justice. Why? Because Jesus built the house. Notice verse 4. Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. What's the focus? God's house. How do we know who that is? It says it's God's holy beloved or God's holy brethren. It tells us who the house is. It's God's house. It's God's people. This is a building that houses God's house. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a structure in which God's house meets. Does that make sense to you? You are God's house. We collectively gathered together are God's house. This building is not God's house. This is a building in which God's house meets. Very important that you understand that. Because you can start doing what the Jewish people did, which was worshiping a building. They worshiped the temple. That's why when they saw the new temple, they grieved initially because the glory of the new temple was so far inferior to the old temple. The second temple was kind of a pile of rocks. It wasn't until Herod rebuilt it that it gained its glory. And then in AD 70, that temple was wiped out. There is no temple on the Temple Mount. They're just mosques. God's house is you. God's house is us. We are his house. We were bought and paid for by the precious blood of the lamb. This building was bought and paid for with dollars and cents that came from the giving of God's house, God's people. 
So the building is greater than the things on this earth. Church, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, Moses served, but it is Jesus that rules and reigns. Amen? Moses was a faithful servant. But Christ is so superior. Because the son is actually the owner. Jesus built me. I got a little sticker on the bottom of my foot that says, Made by Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, you have those little things on there that says, Made in China or Echo in Mexico, you know, or whatever. I was built by Jesus. I was crafted by the king. My life that I live is now a result of what Jesus has done for me, to me, through me. That's all of us. That's why the church is so beautiful. That's why what we represent can't be fabricated by the work of human hands. That's why no amount of works turns the church into what we are. It is the work of the Lord that has turned us into what we are. It's his individual relationship with each of us that compiled together in a single place adds glory on glory on glory because you are his glory. You have been made to glorify God and to the extent that you glorify God and the person sitting next to you glorifies God and we collectively glorify God, the glory of God in that sense grows in this world. But when we do not acknowledge who actually has given us life, And we start to focus on other things. When we think something is greater than Jesus, we will not glorify God the way we're supposed to. We'll glorify something else. We'll be known for something else. God's people are to be known for Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we're here to do, is to tell the world, go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them in the name of the Lord all things as I have commanded you, Jesus said. Not tell them about every aspect and area of your life or things you think you should see changed in this world. Those are things, those are discussions we can have external of the church. But in God's house, We are God's people gathered collectively to give glory and honor to the King of Kings. What is Jesus doing right now as we close? Actually, the Bible tells us a whole bunch of things. That right now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. That is a distinctive place. There's only one person sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and that's Christ the Son. You'll never sit in that chair. I won't sit in that chair. No president, no power, no principle on this earth. Nobody can take it over. That seat is reserved for Jesus. He's always going to sit in that chair. What is he doing there? He's interceding. He's not creating problems, he's solving problems. He's not dividing, he's uniting He's not tearing asunder, he's mending. He's not preaching hate and violence, he's preaching love. He's drawing men's souls together for one cause and one accord. He is not trying to divide us. 
In fact, he himself said, a house divided against itself cannot, cannot stand. Not might not, cannot, will not stand. The church stands unified in Jesus Christ as Lord, or it does not stand at all. Christ is the head of the church. Read Ephesians 4. I encourage you strongly, just read the whole chapter. It's not some ecumenical council. It isn't some group. It isn't a bunch of men. It certainly isn't the Vatican. Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king over his kingdom. He is the head of the church. Amen? And to that end, he's prepared us for good works that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2. We're supposed to be doing his work. Moses was a servant, and in that way, we're supposed to emulate Moses as servants of the Most High God. Having his thoughts, having his mind, having his purposes, having his will, having his way, doing what he wants us to do in this world because it is through him and in him that we have that victory. Without him, we won't have that victory. And so if we don't represent his heart, we don't represent his mind, if we don't speak with his love, if we are not attempting to be a unifying force in a world filled with division, then we are only being part of the problem. We're to be part of the solution as the church. Jesus is, in fact, greater than Moses. He's the head of our family. Sometimes, it, it, I will just tell you this, it is overwhelming, very often for me personally, to think I have to open my mouth and try and give you some glimpse of Jesus. Because I know I can't do that justice fully. The last thing on earth I want to do is mess him up. I don't want to hang something on Jesus that doesn't belong on Jesus. I don't want to attribute something to him that's not from him. I don't want to say something about him that he wouldn't say about himself. And in that sense, you just simply have to have courage at times. To say what God wants you to say. Sometimes people don't like it. It's not my job to be popular. It's just my job to speak the truth in love. It's not my job to try and ease everybody's personal things that they've got going on in their life to where they feel good. Sometimes what I say offends. There's an awful lot of things that Jesus has said to me that are pretty offensive to my flesh. I really don't want to like that person right now. I would just as soon slap them. There's, there's a couple of guys on the internet right now that, in Jesus' name. But I have to love them as Christ has loved me. I can't revile them back. I can't return evil for evil. I have to do good to those who persecute me for his name's sake. 
You see, when I keep it about Jesus, I treat them the way they should instead of giving them what they deserve. Church, that's a lesson for us on July 4th. Our freedom is only as free as we are in Christ. It'll never go any further than that for any of us individually, and it won't go any further than that for us corporately. We are free because the king, the son, has made us free. We happen to live in an environment to where we have an awful lot of freedoms that other nations don't have, including the freedom to disagree with one another. The the freedom to not think exactly the same. The freedom to be who we are as individuals. But the one thing that should unite the church is we are God's people. Let's be united as God's people. Nothing should be greater than Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. If you don't know Jesus, today for you might be that day. Maybe you have come with somebody else or you showed up, you said, what's this weird building that looks like some kind of box store on the corner that has Calvary Chapel on it and you came in? We're glad you did. But we're about Jesus here. We're about knowing Christ personally so that we might have eternal life. It's as simple as inviting him in. Jesus actually said himself, if you will believe in me, you'll have eternal life. We have a whole prayer team in our prayer room. Love to talk with you. Love to share the gospel with you after service. For the rest of us, let's be his family in this world. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this incredible congregation. These saints who put up with me, Lord, I recognize that for some today may have even been hard to hear. And I pray that there be nothing between us. God, I ask that you would bind the work of the enemy in this world. God, as he seeks to destroy and divide, would we be unified and so strong in faith that we can withstand anything together. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Would we live lives that are sacrificial? that represent what you did for us. Unite us, Lord. We need that. Give us purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.